0: past and waves of it. Right. Yeah, yeah and I they say that, yeah. did you see the gorilla? And everyone's like, no. And no, <laughs> right there we didn't see it.
1: Okay. Hello and welcome to episode one hundred and forty three of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F it's all you decide as you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm no rock star, but i picked up a thing or two over the last 20 years on my tour from sysadmin to CMO. And on this weekly podcast, I chat to the true rock stars, my fabulous guests and chums to share some marketing street knowledge to inspire your inner rock star. Come say hello. You can contact us and find all the show notes at rockstarcmo.com. I'm recording this on Saturday, the 3rd of December. Thanks for joining us. I hope you've had a good week and you are well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. In this week's episode, Jeff Clark and I discuss art as a strategy for campaigns. Executive coach Richard Medcalf returns for a chat about his book, Making Time for Strategy, and we wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with Robert Rose for a cocktail and a marketing fool. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment.
2: We'll be right back.
3: We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
2: You heard her. Go subscribe.
1: On to our first segment, the marketing studio with Jeff Clark, our resident rock star CMO advisor for chat about art.
3: It's so nice to have you back in the studio. Come on in. Thank you very much, Jeff, and welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. How yeah. are you, my friend? I'm doing well, and we we need to celebrate the fact that both England and the United States have made it uh, into the uh, the the what is it called the knockout round of World the uh, Cup. World Cup? Yeah, last sixteen.
1: Yes, which is great. And then I was um, I had I did my little midweek thing in in the middle of the week right with uh with liz high yep and um and i start the pro i realized for listeners if you listen to it listeners i do apologize me and liz were talking about football but we didn't actually mention the game that we were talking, <laughs> we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> so it's all a bit obscure so i can rectify that by you and me jeff saying yes the, the 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 reference to the game that me and liz were talking about was the usa versus england and ultimately both of us have gone through based Yay! on what we did after that, which is excellent. Although my man, Pulisic, who plays for my team, Chelsea, seems to have very much hurt himself in a yes. very I, but delicate part of his body. <laughs>
3: my my son, who's the football hero and our, our football expert in our family, says that he yes. is going to be ready to go on Saturday.
1: Ah, and it looked incredibly painful. Yes, They called it a pelvic contusion. And if he, I know anything about... Pelvics, I don't want a contusion.
2: <laughs> <Really?
3: also. laughs> Avoid that at all costs. Don't fly into uh, another player while you're <laughs> knocking around the field. Yes.
1: All right. So, uh, yes, and you've got the Dutch next, haven't you? We've yes, got we do. In the weekend. All right. And neither of those games would have happened by the time this airs, which will be on Saturday morning. So we're all good with that. Um, awesome. Anyway, let's get to um, the, um, the, the boring topic of marketing. The topic, topic at hand. Marketing. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about this week, uh, after our little break last week of having a little bit of a holiday chat, we're going to go back to what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about a deep, according to my notes, holistic understanding of the personas. I think we know who wrote those notes. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to talk about the art of the campaign, because what you did when we were discussing this, um, I'm always banging on about marketing needs to create art, right? Uh, right. awareness revenue and trust and i think in that conversation you added an e to the end of my little tla to yes. make it a four-letter acronym that Yes, an fla and an make it a little it,
3: it gives a little french <laughs> gives a little continental flair the alt, alt, alt i like the campaign
1: I, I like the fact that we've added an f into it so now we're creating flas <laughs> f in four letter acronyms <laughs> And so you've added enablement into to art. So um wh- where should we start with this? So we would talk so what we want to do now is we've moved on from creating our camp our personas and we're now talking about how we create the campaigns. We did a little bit of that, didn't yeah. we? So So why don't we start off with uh, what do we mean it's just by a campaign? A
3: little terminology grounding. So yeah, uh yeah. so which I think is important and and um you know the term campaign is uh has been misused in marketing circles for a long time because oftentimes we use it as a thinking about an individual tactic, you know, like an email mm. campaign, a webcam cast campaign or whatever. Mm. And, and as we've mentioned before on this, this podcast, you know, that gets encoded into our marketing systems, like our market automation platform or our CM, yeah, yeah, yeah. the yeah. campaign is that single thing that created the touch. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's like, I mean, for one thing, it's like the, the tech, the, the people who are in charge of the tactics and the systems themselves mm. kind of want to own the campaign. But that yeah. really forces us into, you know, what I would say is random acts of engagement where yeah, we've yeah. we've we've pinged, we've made an impression, we got a response, mm-hmm. but we haven't really haven't really sealed the deal or told the whole story. Yeah,
1: I I do have a question about that, though, because I think this is really interesting because I completely agree with you. We use the word campaign rather loosely to mean it to be, to be like a three email nurture series yeah. to yep. like we want to launch our whole brand right. Yep. So I think there's some interesting to, and that's not what we're here for. But it'd be interesting to chat with you one time about what we should call the individual streams, I guess, within a work, within a campaign. But that's yep. it. And I also what, love the fact what you're saying about random acts of engagement. Normally, I talk about random acts of content, but you're absolutely yeah. right, right? These things are disconnected, and they don't, if they don't ladder up to something.
3: Yep. Yeah. and, and you know, when I was uh, at at Forrester Series Decisions, and, and I did a lot of work with, with clients on mm-hmm. campaign, you know, definition planning, you know, mm-hmm. all, all aspects of campaigning. And, and, you know, we would have to say, well, you know, sometimes people call these things, you know, larger things, programs or initiatives Uh, or, you know, so, so to an extent, we shouldn't get hung up on uh, the nomenclature as much as to say, you know, we need to step back from the random act of engagement or the tactic or the, or, you know, maybe it's a a program of tactics or whatever, you know, so. You know, you can have all the various ways you're categorizing these things, but but we really need to take a step back to look at the broader picture of what mm-hmm. we're trying to do in engaging. You know, all the different personas that are at our target accounts that are interested mm-hmm. in the particular solution or the need we are trying to address. Uh, mm-hmm. And 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 when you do that, then you're you're taking that broader view. Then you know it's not like an individual product or solution you're pushing it's a it's the buyer need at the account or the organization level it's not the specific tactic it's kind of how you choreograph the roll up of all your different tactic types yeah uh and it's the what's the business outcome we're trying to drive you know it's not just leads it's like we're trying to you know drive revenue growth improve customer satisfaction and and really when you talk about if you're trying to appeal to a specific buyer need with a a typical solution that you've got, you know, the, the runtime for your activity is, you know, it could be the, the year you're planning for, it could be on, Mm -hmm. it could be several years. I mean, until Mm -hmm. something changes in the dynamic of there's a customer Mm -hmm. need out there and there's a solution you provide until something really dramatic changes, you can kind of make that campaign, if you will run for a long period of time.
1: Right, right. So, from what you're saying there, then, and and we're always saying this on the show, anyway, isn't it that we need to be buy and need focused in terms of these things? So, you're saying that you that you that you make the campaign centric around a, a particular need that you're addressing, right? Right. Now, at what level are we talking that? I mean, if we're talking about, um, I don't know, B two B tech topic, are we talking about? the the product needs to be
3: secure are we talking about big topics like that top, uh, sort of a I high think, level sort of thing I are we I think we're, what, 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 what I think we're talking at a, at a high level um where um so you know let's say you you, you sell uh, uh you know solutions that help people um you know uh track expenses or something like that mm-hmm. then you're then mm-hmm. you're trying to say that okay there's a higher level need for right. uh, efficiency and and right. cost containment in how we track right. expenses and right. and so that is a high level need of which you know again there's going to be many personas that are interested in that people in finance, mm-hmm. people in you know travel department people in uh you know each of the individual business right. units and and there's going to be different players in terms of who's championing a new solution and who's who's going to make a decision there, so you're trying to hit right. all of those players. To that need, and, mm-hmm. and, and so that's where you need to encompass, and that's, this is where the, the art part comes in, because um, yeah. you need to encompass a broader array of, uh, of, of activity types, if you yeah. will, um, tactic types yeah. to address awareness, driving revenue, uh, right. building trust with that, a, cl- a client, and then enabling your team, sales and marketing, to mm-hmm. be able to, to be part of this campaign hmm so is it so
1: but that, i mean it's just the beginning part of the talking about the campaign then so so really we're saying the campaign is the big thing it's the big message we want to get across in terms of the problem that we solve and the need and the buyers need so we're talking about if it's like expenses software the fact that we can bring efficiency to their business if it's like a cdp the fact you provide 100 percent view of your customer 360 view of your customer whatever it's that big message that you're going to say across the piece and then and then it's not a single tactic it's a whole bunch of things that we're doing around that stuff right and it's about all of the elements of art right it's about raising awareness it's about revenue driving leads it's about trust right so what? Uh, let's um, so let's expand on that. Then why did you add the E to my art for a start? But
3: so, <laughs> well, so so the um, so a couple things. So I'll, so I'll address mm-hmm. the Y E first, and then the, and then I'll get into yeah. the A R and the T. But yeah. the the Y E is that. So uh, if you if you're scoping the campaign at the level we were mm-hmm. just discussing, then then most organizations are going to probably be running two three four campaigns you know because yeah. it's based on the different customer sets that they're you know uh total addressable markets they're trying to attract and then also the you know the the buyers within that and the need that's expressed in that so so you know unless you're a gigantic organization obviously you know when you get up to uh you know a general electric an oracle or whatever then it's like things get yeah. a lot more complicated than than and you may be running many different campaigns because you've got business units that are that have a tighter focus that are doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But the why enablement is that okay if I'm going to if I'm going to run something that is coordinated this this level, um, I need to get everybody on board as to what we're what we're doing. So everybody right. in marketing is going to contribute to this because there's people in the marketing that contribute to building awareness and brand. There's people in marketing going to contribute to how we're driving demand creation or impacting revenue. And then there's going to be people involved in the various aspects of engagement to help us build trust. And then I've got people in sales Mm -hmm. that are going to be doing those three things too, you know, particularly building trust through their personal engagement. And then also obviously impacting revenue. So everybody in sales and marketing needs to be on the same page with, with how we're, we're taking this approach and that's where the enablement comes in. You got to, you have right. done all the work to understand the personas you've understand their yeah. buying needs you understand you know how they work where they go for content how they like to engage so geez, if i have all yeah. this information i better tell everybody else <laughs> because yeah, yeah. I, you know because yeah. because they're going to they're they're yeah. going to do better and one of the other key things about running a campaign at this level is but was kind of maybe obvious is that it requires a lot of collaboration across the functions so so that's you know that's part of this enablement function or it's enablement part yeah. of the of yeah. the art is to make yeah. sure you're bringing people up to speed and and saying what's your role in running this campaign you know so right. when you do do your emails or you're running your events or whether you're you're making your sales calls you've got a context for how we're trying to mm-hmm. approach this this uh mm-hmm. ac- this set of accounts and their needs and and so do you think cause the re- the the
1: reason why I used art really was just you know these are the top level objectives that the c seat would understand awareness revenue and trust it's, it it creates that kind of higher order of of you know if it's like marketing Maslow's
3: marketing yeah
1: yeah now, there's it a model called, we could build on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The the effing marketing um hierarchy. Pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um but so but do you think that enablement then really does sits at that level then? It's something that that yeah. we we as marketers have to have as that fourth pillar of everything we do.
3: I I absolutely because, yeah, because yeah. otherwise you're just you're you're not you're you're trying to move an organization and um yeah. And again, marketing, I mean, this is also part of marketing being more business focused. I mean, we're not just about yeah. the nice colors and the the way yeah, the logo yeah. is treated and all that stuff. We're about yeah. helping the organization execute on its business goals again. So yeah. whether that's driving new revenue or retaining customers or improving satisfaction, we're trying to drive, you know, outcomes at that level. So that mm-hmm. requires working on awareness, revenue, and trust, and it also requires enabling the organization to uh, to play their part. Yeah, and no, I,
1: I really like that. That's, um, that's great. And then also, I think you've been then expanding this in between us talking on this podcast to become <laughs> really an approach to how you might yeah. approach campaigns, as we've just been discussing. So how does this approach then improve our campaigns make better campaigns
3: well one one thing is that it it um, it would acknowledge that that like for a particular solution you're bringing to address a buyer mm-hmm. need you may be in different um, positions in the market so you may need to be putting if you think about you know the awareness revenue trust and enablement yeah um, is that you may be in a position where you need to drive more awareness um, mm-hmm. because you need to set up the ability for your demand creation yeah. activity to work. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. if you're not well known in a particular market or you're not well known for doing that yeah. particular, uh, addressing that particular need, you know, whereas if you, you know, now if you are well established in the market, you may be working on more driving revenue. Um, if you're you know, if you're in a, a situation where you're trying to you know, maybe you're a big player but you're trying to improve your customer satisfaction, you're trying to make sure you're mm-hmm. you've got good customer retention, well then the trust you build through engagement is gonna be is going to be where you want to put most of your emphasis so it lets this kind of model lets you sort of uh, dial one one area up and one area down Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. in addition to making sure you're coordinated across these things you got the same message addressing the same needs or you know a consistent message addressing the needs it it lets you dial one thing up or down and so it gives you some flexibility um
1: and also, I mean, yeah, I guess I'm slightly biased with the art part, anyway, because I've always <laughs> thought of it as well that you know, if you're a startup, then you know, you, that, I mean, although you need all all of them, awareness, revenue, and trust, right? But if you're a startup you know, you're probably going to be needing to think a lot more about awareness, as you were just saying. Absolutely. And then and then other more established organizations need to focus more on revenue. And then, you know, there are organizations that don't have so much trust that perhaps they need to focus there. Right? They yeah. are out there. Yes, they are. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. and then I think to your point, adding enablement is some there are some organization very fine marketing teams, but that's a little goldfish bowl within the organization. Not everybody singing from that that hymn sheet. So I think that's interesting. Yep. So so, but um, but to sort of drill down a bit more, what what are what are the key things about that approach? What how, what changes when you take this approach? Basically, what what are you thinking about differently?
3: Well, I think one of the things is you're you're thinking about um, the fact that you're. Um, your market again is it may maybe you you may be in different stages in your market, but also the accounts that you are working with you're trying to uh you're trying to mm-hmm. engage they're gonna be at different stages right so there mm-hmm. are different stages of awareness and readiness so so mm-hmm. where where you put you know how you build the content and your engagement um you know your 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 tactic mix is is gotta be relevant to to where the accounts are the fact that you've ah, yes. got p- accounts and personas that are different levels of awareness mm. of you, and at different points at which they want to engage with you, different ways they want to engage with you. So, yeah. so you're again, you're helping to paint the, the broader picture that says, you know, you know, here's how we're trying to make sure we're we're engaging these people and mm-hmm. and driving our business outcomes. And the buyer's journey, you know, is you know. Is, and we've talked about this in the show before i mean Mm -hmm. there's lots of different models for buyer journeys but we all know that you know it's a fairly complicated cycle that 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 companies go through and that the personas that those companies go through and some personas are driving decision making some people are uh you know are engaging early in a process some are engaging late in the process so again as you plan your campaign content and tactics, you're trying to make sure you're addressing all of those aspects. And again, mm-hmm. not just looking if I, if again, stepping back to the tactic view, if I step back to the tactic view, I'm, 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 you know, uh, one touch among, you know, I, I don't mm-hmm. know what the, I can't remember what the latest date is, but you know, it's like it takes 20 plus touches to actually, you know, win yeah. an account. And so it's yeah, like yeah. that's just the one touch. So rather well, take that, that, that broader view and, um, yeah. Uh, and and uh, and making sure I've 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 built my content and my yeah. tactics for the whoever's the champion, who are the influencers that may be engaging early in the process, mm-hmm. and then who are the decision makers and the gatekeepers who are going to be engaging later in the process, mm-hmm. and then and then pulling the levers differently depending on who, who they
1: are, and presumably yep. as well if we're thinking about our customers' needs, you know, there we if we're if we're B two B selling and our audience are marketers and it might be that they their big pressure their big need is awareness of their organisation so we need to think differently about how we present our art to them right yes, <laughs> to I mean. like yeah. you know so you know it's it's understanding their needs and what's driving them but perhaps around around art as well so that's interesting yeah, the know.
3: other and the other thing about this is that again taking this broader view is you should be yeah. setting your goals for the campaign at yeah. the level of, exactly. of the business outcomes you're trying to drive. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. what's the revenue you're trying to drive? What's the improvement yeah. in customer satisfaction? Yeah. What, you know, what what's the improvement in awareness? Are we taking people from a certain mm. point in awareness to a, you know, to a, a deeper level yeah. of preference for us? And, and um, so the goals should be set at this level. And because you're working mm. across, you know, all these different um, ways of engaging with all the different personas, um, mm-hmm. You should be able to at the campaign level be pretty accurate in how you're helping to uh, achieve those goals. It gets mm-hmm. much harder to say you know what 's the return on investment of a webcast or an email yeah. or a particular event because because yeah. again that 's that one touch in many um, but if I look back at the from a campaign point of view and you know i i i you know, use my analytics tools or my MRM tools yeah. to be able to yeah. to bucket things across the campaign, then I can start to say, you know, I've put this much money into this campaign and we drove yeah. these business outcomes.
1: Well, that, I mean, and that's also the great thing about the ART model, isn't it? Each of these things is actually measurable. <laughs> Awareness, revenue, trust, enablement. Yep. You can, you can measure all those things and you can decide you know, what your target would be in, in each of those areas. That's fantastic. So it's wonderful to talk about art. Thank you very much, Jeff. <laughs> uh, we got, uh, well, this week we did the football and, instead of the weather, and then we've done the topic. And then, but as usual, we need to pick a song. What song are we going you with? We need to
3: play out on a song. So I just, you know, I was thinking about art and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, um, and I came up with the song Paint Me. By the Ohio players. This is back from 1972, mm-hmm. so this is <laughs> this is back in the in the way back machine. But it, they <laughs> they talk about paint me a picture. That's what you're doing with a campaign. You're painting yeah, a picture yeah. for your prospects and your customers, and hopefully yeah. they like I,
1: it. Yeah, and no, that's really. I, I had to look this one up, but it's an absolute classic. Thank you very much, Jeff. And will I be joining you in the studio next week? Absolutely. All right, mate. And oh, by the way, um, just a little. Um, our mutual chum Grant, uh, former boss CMO of Embers, is going to be on the show week after next. I'm chatting to him
3: this evening. So awesome! There you go. So a say hello, and I'll look forward to hearing his wisdom yeah. on the on the podcast.
1: Yeah, and and it won't be this week; it'll be the week after. So yeah, Grant Johnson will be back on the show. All right, mate. I thought I'd mention that. And uh, but, so I'll see you next week. Awesome.
3: Cheers, buddy. Bye, bye. Take care. Bye. Why
2: let
1: Thank you, Jeff, and that was Paint Me by the Ohio Players from 1972. Something new to me. But fun fact, it was the B-side of Funky Worm, which if you're a gamer, you might have heard in Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Anyway, let us know what you think of the music or anything you like, really. You can find us at Rockstar CMO on LinkedIn or contact me or Jeff through our website, rockstarcmo.com. Right. It's time for me to go backstage with this week's guest, Richard Medcalf. He's the founder of X Squadrant and is an executive coach and leadership consultant to exceptional founders and CEOs who've already achieved incredible things and still have the ambition to achieve more in terms of their impact and influence. It's Richard's second appearance on the show back in episode 65. He shared some excellent insight from CEOs on their view of marketing. I'll include a link to that in the show notes. But this week, he's back to talk about making time for strategy. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome back, Richard, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you?
0: Yeah, hi. I'm doing really well, thank you. I'm excited to be back. It's such a pleasure to see you again and and to chat um, on this new topic.
1: Yeah, I can't believe that it's episode 65 when we had you. And this is, you know, we're in the 140s. So it's been a while. So good to see you. So for people that didn't listen to episode 65, tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Sure. Well, it's my favorite subject, so I'll try to keep it brief. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, so I, I run a small um, consulting company, coaching company called X Quadrant. Um, mm-hmm. What I love to do, the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning, is to help extraordinary leaders, successful leaders, to reinvent themselves, to multiply their impact, to have a bigger impact mm-hmm. on their business, on their people, and on their purpose, right, on, on the things that really matter to them. Uh, in a nutshell, I find that most high-performing leaders they've got a great success formula that's worked for them in the past, and they've got to a certain level. Everybody's really impressed, but inside they know they can they can go so much further, they can make so much more of a difference. And what I love to do is help them do that, help them kind of switch gears to operate at a higher level. And I do that whether they're a two billion you know a two billion dollar company CEO, whether they're a startup uh, a founder. Or whether they're anywhere in between and it's huge amounts yeah. of fun
1: yeah i really enjoyed our conversation last time it's predominantly ceos that you rec- that you you work with right? well
0: not always um the way they work with other senior execs as, as well um yeah but i do find that you know the broader the 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 bigger you're thinking and the the broader your ability to make a difference, the more fun it is. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, yeah, I've got yeah. programs where I run, work with high performers kind of coming up through the ranks. I work with executive mm-hmm. teams. So I kind of say like CEOs is probably my my sweet spot. But um, yeah. for me, it's a psychographic, right? Uh, I'm looking for, you know, fascinating people who want to make big things happen. And that's really my yeah, filter. Yeah. yeah, no, I like that.
1: And then also like, um, um you I've spoken to a number of mentors and people that have, that, have, that have been mentored and it's actually, it's kind of lonely at the top, isn't it? I mean, it's a, it's a cliche, but it, it it's good to have mentors that can help you, even when you reach those kinds of levels in the business, isn't it? That, that, that they can have somebody to bounce these ideas off of. Yeah. I
0: think there's, you have two choices. You have complacency or mastery. Mastery is a journey, right? Complacency yeah. means you kind of actually get comfortable. What I find mm-hmm. actually is, you often one way of figuring out when you're in your comfort zone is because you're crazy busy. But yeah, <laughs> because you're actually crazy busy doing the things that you know how to do. Yes. And the breakthrough yeah, tends yeah. to come when we slow down a little bit and work on the things that are a bit of a stretch for us. Right. Don't right. Which is, I think, I think that's
1: a good segue to bring us to your book, actually. Um, and um, so you've written a book, Making Time for Strategy, How to Be Less Busy and Be More Successful, which is going to be released in January. I understand. I, I love the title. I mean, who wouldn't want some of that? I mean, how to be less busy and be more successful. It's 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 a winner. So what inspired you to write this
0: book? Yeah, well, it's a subject which I saw coming up in almost all of my client discussions again mm-hmm. somebody comes to me they say you know I've, I've taken on a new role i've risen up a level or i want to get to the next level uh, or i want to see what's next in my life in my career and yeah. want to multiply my impact and so we start to talk well what's stopping you And like one of the first things is you know i'm just bogged down with all this low level stuff yeah. operations i'm crazy busy i don't have time to think um mm-hmm. i'm being pulled in a million directions you know my stakeholders. My my boss needs input on my board or my my team, customers, a million projects. It's it's a nightmare. And so I just found that was the first thing we had to address very often. And so having done this repeatedly with all these different high achieving execs, I then ran a program for mid-level managers and high achievers coming through called the uh, Productivity Accelerator, refined these ideas with them. And I started to realise, you know, this is a body of work which is emerging. There's key ideas and key thoughts, and I have a bit of a different perspective on how to break through, which we can perhaps get onto. And so I thought, well, this is a great opportunity to document these insights mm. so that more people can actually benefit from them without having to sign up for, you know, high end uh, coaching packages.
1: Yeah, I love that. And, and I, again, you know, some of the conversations I have on the podcast where people have, auth- they, that's what it's come through. It's come through their experience. They found that they have codified kind of their practice and they want to share it. Right. And they want to share it in a book. So I think that's really, and I'm, I'm also, I love, I always love talking to authors because everybody, many of us have a book in us. Right. So, so I'm always interested in that process. And, but it sounds like great advice for any l- leaders, but why do you think it's really important that we make time for strategy?
0: Yeah, so there's there's two things. There's why is it important and what's the problem? So mm-hmm. why is it important is what I call strategic time uh, is your number one key performance indicator. So strategic time is the time we create in our week to invest mm-hmm. in making things easier in the future. It's for the thinking and the doing of the projects which are going to catapult us forward.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Why it's your number one performance indicator is um, – let me give you an example. When I was in consulting early days, uh, most of my colleagues, you know, as analysts, we were responsible for building business plans, Excel models, this kind of thing, very complex, sophisticated ones for investors. After a few months, I realized, you know what, each project we start from scratch, but there are things we could do. I, I could build a template here mm. to make it flexible. So I, I built this beautiful template. It looked great. It was flexible. It had charts built in, had little modules I could copy and paste to rapidly build up different blocks and different costs and, 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 and revenue sources. And um, for weeks, people were going, Richard, why are you spending your evenings doing this geeky stuff when you could be out? Yeah. Because you've done your client work. You're not getting paid for this. No one's asking you to do this. Why are you doing it? I was like, well, well it's yeah. fun. Yeah. Sad old me. <laughs> but what I found was that when I finished it, suddenly a thing which took my colleagues a week to do, I could do in a morning. And my output was better looking, more polished, better charts, more insights, because Mm -hmm. I built in functionality that most people didn't have time to do. And so suddenly I got, A, I got a great reputation for amazing work. B, I had this time available that I could then invest in the next level activities. So whilst everybody else was coding Excel, I was interpreting results, building presentations, doing business development, learning about sales. It's why I became the youngest partner, I think, ever in that company not just because of that one thing, because of that mindset that I'm going to invest time that's going to free me up in the future for more strategic things. So this is this why it's the number one metric between people who are crazy busy on the hamster wheel and never progress yeah. and those people who seem to continually rise and do more and more interesting things. So strategic time is right. so important. And then perhaps, mm, yeah. well, let me stop there.
1: No no, it's great. so so it's important for the business as well as for the individual, right that you have leaders that
0: are thinking in this way. I mean it's good for all of us right Yeah because you're breaking through a new barrier. you know there's incremental progress and it feels you feel productive when yeah. you do it when you're running fast, delivering on goals, uh, do, yeah. knocking things off your to-do list. but it's actually yeah. incremental. and it's what I call the infinity trap. So we live in a world of infinity. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got infinite everything, infinite messages coming, flooding yeah. into our, you know, nonstop messages coming in, infinite yeah. videos and podcasts and blogs <laughs> yeah. to read, right? I've got another yeah. one to the mix, um, <laughs> infinite things you can stream on Netflix or whatever it is, Right, infinite yeah. people you can contact yeah. on social media. So we can't deal with this through productivity. But what we try to do is we go faster and faster. As I said, we feel good. We feel like the superhero. We're making things happen. We're crazy busy. We quite enjoy it. But we get tunnel vision. Yeah. We stop. Mm-hmm. We don't see the opportunities to break through that are just because we're running so fast. Right. It's like that you know, that YouTube video of the basketball team? Have you seen this one? Right. They're passing a basketball. You, 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 the game is you've got to count how many times they pass the basketball. You, yeah. You're watching them. And in the middle of the video, a guy in a gorilla suit walks past and waves at the right yeah, yeah And I they say that, yeah. did you see the gorilla and everyone's like no And um, no <laughs> right there we didn't see it because we yeah. were focused on yeah. something else on and that. that is the infinity yeah. trap and it's why people get stuck
1: right right and um so you've obviously talked to a lot of leaders who are in that infinite trap And i also like the uh the, the way you use the word the hamster wheel which i often use in marketing which i'll come to in a sec but what's the what, what what are the challenges leaders have seen like in, in doing that? Is it just simply that there is an infinite number of of distractions or things mm. that they could do and make themselves feel good and feel busy? What how 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 is that the main challenge? How do people over, overcome? That?
0: Yeah, so the big insight that led me to decide I needed to write this book rather than just recommend yes. some other book was that. <laughs> yes. Was that most people try to address this through improving their productivity, but actually mm-hmm. you end up going faster. Some people try to prioritize yeah. and cut things out. Yeah. It doesn't seem to work. And, and the reason is there are four things that you actually need to address. And so I found working with my, with my clients that in different order, we'd have to look at all these different things. Uh, and lucky yeah. for me, when I stepped back and thought about them, I realised I spelt the word "time," which was my, uh, <laughs> which, which was a great acronym uh, for the book.
1: I was going to ask you about this. Absolutely, yeah. So, so
0: time stands for the four, these four areas: so tactics, mm-hmm. influence, mindset, and environment. So, mm-hmm. you, if you don't address all of these factors, you are probably not going to make things happen. So, tactics are first of all, you do need some tactics. You know, you do need to perhaps reevaluate your workflows. You do perhaps need to look at how do you manage tasks, meetings, you know, uh, requests on your time.
1: Uh, so this is the basic getting things done. How do I actually structure my goals and all Yeah, so
0: this day? stuff, but yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, but a lot of people yeah. are missing a few key elements. And so it's worth looking at that. But right. more than that, it's also a question of how are you going to, like, what is your tactical plan to actually free up mm-hmm. a meaningful amount of time over the next few weeks? Like, we often tinker at the edges, so we need a tactical plan. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the first part. But you can't actually implement that plan without stepping up as a leader. So the next one is influence. When yeah. you go, if you try to go on a diet, you'll find that the biggest people that sabotage that diet are your own family because they want to eat chocolate <laughs> cake and they're feeling guilty with yeah. you sitting there virtuously with your apple. Yeah, um, yeah. Or if you want to go running, your family are like, oh, stay in, and we want to chat to you. Don't go out, you know, don't, don't leave yeah, it raining. Yeah. And so often the people around us actually bring us back to what's comfortable for them. In the business nice. situation, if we need to reevaluate how we use our time, work, elevate our focus, mm-hmm. we need to actually renegotiate commitments with our boss, with our peers, with our team, with other stakeholders. And so influence is key. So are you actually able to, to make that happen? That's influence.
1: Is is there a lot of that around like are you sort of managing upwards and downwards? So you're sort of like may, maybe there's tasks that you're doing that maybe your team could actually yeah. could be a bit more autonomous and not need you or or actually saying to the boss, Look, you know, I'm not going to Do this I'm not, I'm, I'm, Yeah, or I'm, yeah, often, yeah, I'm not going to be available. Or yeah. in the same level of detail yeah.
0: or or whatever it is. So there's yeah. various yeah. levers, there's yeah. five levers in the book I explain about.
1: Because meetings are the biggest issue, aren't they, most of the time for most people? aren't yeah, they? managing yeah. how many meetings you're in. Yeah,
0: so the, the, I give various tactics you know, about like how could you like potentially reduce your commitments to meetings. You can't necessarily delete them all from yeah. your calendar, but what can you do? Yeah. So it is that yeah. second yeah. part. And then we mm-hmm. get to mindset. Um, for many people, that might even be where they want to start because it's what we believe is necessary, possible, and desirable That actually drives what we do so you can build your plan and have all your ideas about what you think you should do but you don't do it and when you dig in you find it's because you're a responsible person and not doing that would be irresponsible or Mm -hmm. you know you're a high achiever and you love churning stuff out and like stopping that and thinking would be a bit edgy for you yeah. there's all these different yeah. areas we probably don't have the time right now to go into all of the different ones but it's it's all these areas that i need to kind of hack your brain a little bit right. so you can realize that the thing that you think is reinforcing your identity is probably actually not serving you or the people around you
1: it's is that like the stories you tell yourself like about how who you are and what it is that you you want to do and that kind of thing and <laughs> me- getting that right adjusting that is that what it
0: is yeah so in a nutshell Mm -hmm. let me give you just one example super boiled down one client i worked with was finding too much time in his email not enough time on his transformational projects the reason he was doing his email when we really got into it was that he saw himself as a reliable and trustworthy team player
3: Mm -hmm.
0: we had a coaching conversation around it he really ended up realizing oh yeah like all my stakeholders they want me to, you know, my, my investors, my CEO, my, 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 cl- my internal team, uh, clients, they all want me really to focus on these transformational projects. And therefore, yeah. I'm being untrustworthy and unreliable and not a team player right. when I'm just doing the easy emails and not doing the big work right. where I'm really getting paid the big bucks, right? I should be doing these right. future projects. Right. Once he had that mindset shift of actually what's being reliable and trustworthy is, is tackling the big stuff and not people-pleasing, Mm-hmm. then things shifted yeah. for him so it's I've really condensed the story but you get the idea that that's yeah. his identity like nothing I said was going to help him if he yeah. thought that what he was doing was unreliable and irresponsible
2: yeah
1: I love that people pleasing thing that must that's a hot button with a lot of people I think and it's a very easy thing to fall into isn't it? it's that slack that pops up or teams as, as I have on my day job or the email comes in and you want to you want to deal with it immediately yeah. and help them and and do all that stuff. That's that's interesting. So that's the mindset thing. What's the what's your fourth? Yeah, so the fourth
0: fourth one after tactics, invi- influence, and mindset is environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And environment is um is really because I wanted this book to be for leaders and not yeah. just for like General people, if you like, uh, not just <laughs> for everybody, and, uh, and obviously you can apply this, you know, for anybody, even if an individual contributor uh, in a business. Absolutely, yeah. you can apply this this book very well. But the environment is thinking is wanting to think as a leader in terms of how do I actually influence my company culture. So it might be just you might want to start with just your team uh, or your department or your immediate peers, or you know, there's, sub, there's some microcosm of your culture where you think, you know what. Is not just about me, I need to create an environment where we're not doing all the firefighting, you know, all the time, where we're not doing knee jerk reactions, chasing shiny object from shiny object, where we're not just running all in the weeds ourselves. And so, how do I start to be a leader of change? And because even if I've become this super focused person, if everybody else is running around not getting things done. On what really matters, the company's still not gonna yeah. deliver what it's capable capable of. So environment okay, is right. really helping people think through how do I actually start to move people around me forward on this same journey. Right.
1: Right. I love and I, I love that you came up with this genius acronym based on the on the topic time. So tactics, influence, mindset, and environment. And just out of that, I mean what's what do you think? I mean, the book's not out till January. I haven't had the opportunity to read it. But what do you think is going to be? What's the t- key takeaway? Is it is it one of those four or is it something else people should get from this book?
0: Yeah, so um, the, yeah, I think, the, I think the key takeaway, um, mm-hmm. there's probably many because everyone's got their own thing. So actually what I've created, yeah. um, if you go to makingtimeforstrategy.com, you can find the details about the book. And there's a link there to a, a little assessment that I did uh, that mm-hmm. we've created. And the assessment actually helps you identify a, your overall score on this journey. So like, where are you? Mm-hmm. But also which of these four elements is perhaps the limiting factor for you right now? Because if you've got the tactics all nailed in, but your mindset is off, then perhaps that's where you need to start so what I'm right. really saying is that the the insight for everybody that's going to make a difference will be different for each person. If I do right. encourage people just to take that assessment, it'll be a great way just to kind of get a quick yeah. read on your situation and a focus area. But I think for me, um, the thing I see is when people really understand strategic time mm-hmm. is my number one key performance indicator because my future success will really depend on how much I um, I get out of that off that hamster wheel and invest in my future and the future of the company. Yeah. And if I boil it down, the message for me is you have a choice of fear or contribution. Mm-hmm. Because normally yeah. we're stuck in fear, fear of what people would yeah. think if we were to change, fear that like, are we going to start failing if we do things differently, fear that our team can't pick up the slack that we're going to give them, um, mm-hmm. fear of, you know, inserted in here, right? Letting people down, not being seen as a team player, whatever. That's something. Mm-hmm. But that's like a selfish, like self-preservation thing going on inside us. And so, I'm in the book. I'm trying to call people up to contribution. Yeah. If you focus on what is the most impactful thing I can deliver, yeah. What's the most? What's the highest contribution that I can make? And focus on that, then actually, you you're going to create extraordinary value you're going to move forward and yeah. uh, that if you like is, a... is, 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 the, is the real deep level yeah. call for people.
1: I love, I'm inspired by that. I, lo- I love that. And that, and that's, I think that's a great, part to end on talking about your book. And I'd love to talk about your book some more. Maybe when it comes out in January, we'll, we'll have a dig into it. But for now, the re, the listeners rather can find it at making time for strategy where that assessment is. So I'm going to move on to our final question, which uh, as you've already been through this because you were on before. So as you know, we have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO Swimpool, where we when we last chatted, you nominated and I was listening back to it. Stop optimizing the funnel, you said, as it's a dangerous addiction, which I really like. Are you going to stick with that? Shall we keep that in the pool, or have you got a new suggestion?
0: Um, I think, um, well, I still stick by that one. I mean, optimizing, <laughs> optimizing different parts of the funnel without looking at the whole, yeah. which is really what I was saying, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, is, yeah. is, is, is a key one. Um, although yeah. given the theme of our conversation today, you know, um, yeah. you know, perhaps we should, you know, perhaps we should throw in like, um, stop saying, um, I'm crazy busy. Mm-hmm. and instead say, I'm perfectly busy. Because the reality oh, nice. is we're not victims. Uh, um, we choose exactly the level of busyness mm-hmm. that we are, have. And, and that's often shocked people. They say, no, 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 it's not me. I believe it's you. You're choosing that based yeah. on fear and other things. You're choosing the exact yeah. level of busyness that you have. So stop saying, I'm crazy busy right now. And also stop saying, yeah. it's going to be quieter next quarter because it (laughs) won't it
1: won't it won't and especially wearing that as a badge of pride i mean that's what i'm learning from you from this is that your busyness is not a badge of pride the amount of time you can spend thinking and being strategic and making that contribution is a badge of pride i really like that so that's splendid thank you very much richard for your time again and when people spin the dial on the interwebs where are they going to find you
0: so obviously they can look me up in linkedin and say hello there connect with me there just leave a personalize your message so i know who the, who, who you are absolutely um, yeah uh, x com is, is the business and there's mm-hmm. plenty of resources there about anybody who's serious about multiplying their impact and then the book itself uh, go to making time for uh, to find out about that or just head over to amazon or whatever and, and you can and you can pick it exactly. up or pre-order it and there's a whole bunch of juicy bonuses over the kind of the the launch the pre-launch <laughs> period so don't miss out on those i love it
1: All right. Well, I know that writing a book is half the challenge. The rest of it is promotion. So good luck with the rest of what's going to be going on until the book launches. So uh, congratulations, Richard. I look forward to speaking to you again. And I will, of course, include all those links in the show notes. And uh, I I look forward to chatting to you again, Richard. OK. Bye-bye. Thank you, Richard. That was excellent. Always a pleasure to catch up with Richard. And his book is out in January. And as you heard, you can find him on LinkedIn and his website, xquadrant.com. I will, of course, include all his links in the show notes, which you can find at rockstarcmo.com. Right, it's time to wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and be transported away for a cocktail and a marketing thought with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose. Good evening, rabbits. What are you drinking?
2: Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar. It is great to be here. It has been a long week. Um, mm-hmm. It seems like everybody woke up and wants to do stuff to, to, to get to the end of the year. Um, everybody woke up and went, "Oh, wait a minute! All that holiday we took—we um, actually now have to do some work." Um, so the drink is is well deserved this week. I'm sure mm-hmm. for all of your audience uh, here in the here in the bar. Um, so, yeah, I have a fun one for us cool. uh, this week. Um, it is fall, uh, and it is yeah. um, the, the most wonderful, my favorite season, the most wonderful time of year. And so I thought this week we would do a little bit of a change of pace. We'd rarely do a vodka drink here um mm-hmm. in, uh, in in the virtual bar, mostly because well you know you're unlikely to have anything um, but, <laughs>
1: well, then we'd never have anything <laughs>
2: yeah but 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 more than that, I just don't drink that much vodka uh-huh. um, And so this is going to be what we call a it, it's it's very fall like we're calling it a ginger chai cocktail um, and you know it uh, you, you might think that sounds a little you know a little new yorky i don't even know what that what what the you know <laughs> what the uh what, the, what it is. is but it's it's a really fun lovely fall spiced kind of cocktail um uh-huh. and uh so the way it's made we it's very mm-hmm. simple um it's when i say the first ingredient you'll think what chai concentrate <laughs> so chai tea being very uh, of course um popular these days you can actually mm-hmm. get chai concentrate pretty easily oh, wow. these days yeah um, you know most groceries will will uh and will will have it um for mm-hmm. making chai tea of course but you know we're going to use chai concentrate here um mm-hmm. and if you can find one without uh anise um or do you pronounce it anise there um anise. one of the two the licorice basically yeah. um, yes Better, um, that's better because it's just. Uh, well, first of all, I hate anise, but but second of all, uh, <laughs> it, it just tastes better. Um, but anyway, it, it, but you can use really any chai concentrate that you find or that you like mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and then the second is ginger beer, which mm-hmm. is. I think that's a English pastime, so you you'd Absolutely. be able to find ginger beer again pretty Absolutely. simply. Um, and then vodka, and um, mixing those together. Uh, Basically, with uh, you know, with a you can do this as a as a as a shaken with no ice mm-hmm. and make it really cool. You can throw a little dry ice in there if you want to have that cool little smoky sort of groove. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. You can actually uh, put a little crystallized ginger on the side, you know, for a garnish if you want to do that. Yeah. Uh, but it's just a lovely, lovely, very spicy, wonderful cocktail for a fall day.
1: That's lovely. I love the way you describe this season as fall because you live in California, whereas here it's fucking winter.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, you have. I mean, the way that I describe. English weather is sort of 50 shades of gray, right? I mean, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: We, today we've got the very cold gray. So that's, that's right. why I'm like, "Fall? what's he talking about? Yeah. But I do, but I, this does sound warming and I do, I do love a bit of ginger. It's very, very nice. And um, so, and you said that's, that, that could be shaken or it could be stirred. Or
2: yes. Or just poured over ice if you prefer as well. All ah,
1: you know. right. Well, I'm going to pour it over ice
2: okay
1: uh, yes. and uh, surprising you, you're you stunning well uh, for for i mean people that aren't listening to the show every week what happens now is i attempt to make the roberts cocktail using only the ingredients on my desktop bar um and uh i have here some what i've got the lunar gin out so i've got the hendrix lunar gin uh so uh, the most english of vodkas as we know Indeed. And so I shall slop some of that into my glass.
2: This might actually work with gin. I haven't tried it with gin, but it might actually, oh, actually this, this is this is one of the few cocktails that actually might work with a gin substitute. I was
1: actually wondering where you you got the where you got this particular um recipe from because it's quite a peculiar one, isn't it? Is it something you you concocted yourself or something you've tasted? Well,
2: I, I will tell you this. The, the <laughs> ginger beer plus vodka is a pretty standard yes. thing, right? Um They're putting the chai. In. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty standard drink. Um, yeah. you know, vodka ginger ale or vodka ginger beer, whatever you're, you know, sort of yeah. the way you uh, phrase it. Um, but then adding the chai is something that I actually learned from my wife who loves chai tea. And I was nice. like, and I don't love chai tea. So <laughs> I actually, for this drink, to be clear, I mm. actually only use a very small amount of chai because mm-hmm. it just gives it a, a little bit of a different kind of flavor.
1: Jolly good well, while we were chatting, I uh, I then, you might have heard me open a, a bottle of uh of
2: something Did I talk very... over your amazing sound effect? Is that, is that... <laughs>
1: <laughs> the thing is, it, 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 I mean, no, because it's not a sound effect. This is the bit that I don't edit. This is genuinely things happening on my desk. Oh, all right. Uh, so I just I just uh, opened the uh, bottle of um, fever tree, uh, f- uh, uh, cucumber tonic water, which I think is the most English of chai and gingers. <laughs> so I'm going to give this a taste. What are we calling this?
2: We're calling this a ginger chai cocktail. Mmm,
1: this is delicious. I could drink one of these every week.
2: I suspect you will.
1: Very nice, and very warming, I love that. And where would one go in the Californian, well, it, we might not be in California, where, where are we gonna go for drinking these lovely drinks?
2: Well, it feels like we should be somewhere fall and autumn-like. Yes, um, yes. And so there is the, it's a little late for this, Um, But the changing of the leaves up in the upper northeast of the U.S. and so (laughs) somewhere just north of Boston um, or, uh, you know, up in Maine, maybe um, in one of those little coastal seaside villages. Would be just lovely because it's one of those places where there actually is a fall um, and different shades of not different shades of gray, I should say, but (laughs) beautiful fall foliage and it feels crisp and wonderful in the air and we can sit, you know, in big woolly sweaters, um, you know, on an old dock somewhere, you know, looking out (laughs) out at a lake or or a bay. And just enjoying these ginger chai cocktails. Um, probably that. not with ice in them because it'll be a little chilly. But um, yes. but yes, that's in a late afternoon, like a late afternoon on a Sunday right. or something.
1: Yeah, no, I love it. I think we are a little bit late for the... Uh, for the a little bit late, yes. A indeed. Bit, as, as, we're, as we are. It's actually December. Can you believe it's December? Already? I know. But anyway, it's amazing. It is yeah, amazing. And um, when the conversation and this wonderful doc turns to marketing or whatever it is that we want to talk about, What's the topic for this week?
2: Well, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, audiences here and mm-hmm. specifically purple audiences. Um, purple. And I know that sounds a little weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. But so one of the things that I have learned. Um, so th- right now we're in this very weird state of the world. Uh, and this thing that comes up, I learned this back when I was in, uh, in a dot com company, when I first started really getting into digital and marketing and caring about the stock market and all that stuff. And one Mm -hmm. of my bosses originally told me this, and then I learned that it was a pretty popular sentiment, which is the stock market is not the economy. And so, you know, when you start looking at the stock market and the economy, they are two different things. And one is not, you know, a, an indicator of the other typically, Mm -hmm. and that works in, we always think about it in, you know, sort of good ways. Uh, That, in other words, if the stock market is crashing, it doesn't mean the economy is doing badly, but it's also vice versa. Uh, If the stock market is rocketing, it doesn't mean the economy is always great. And so that's true. And it's, and I've watched it be true. And and it's amazing to me that most media companies, mainstream news being most pointed there don't actually, you know, they don't, that's not the narrative, right? The narrative is if the stock market's crashing, we must all be going to hell in a handbasket. Um, And so The interesting thing to me is that it brings up another corollary that I learned also 25 years ago as I started getting into the media business and working for media Mm -hmm. companies, which is that popularity does not equal differentiation. Um, And what I mean by that is that, you know, you can and it's also a double edged sword, um, which is you can chase trends and you can feed really popular content to your audiences. Basically, speak what everybody else is talking about, right? Just yeah try and be louder, try and be, you know, (laughs) as, as popular as you possibly can feeding the zeitgeist of the day. And that's not going to differentiate your content. But on the other hand, that you can start to think about trying completely, you know, off topic, new audiences, new topics, new content. And that doesn't always work out either because, you know, you're speaking, you know, you're sort of dropping your, you know, it's like spitting into the sea as it were. Yeah. And, and it brings up this book from 2004, um, a great book, by the way, that I would recommend to your audience called Blue Ocean Strategy, which yeah. is basically distinguishing the idea between what they call red oceans, crowded markets where popular products are everywhere and basically it's cutthroat sales, discount yeah. marketing, all those kinds of things in those kinds of markets and battling there. And then the blue oceans, which are undiscovered markets with basically nobody in it. Um, where you can create these new customers or uh, the other side of it, of course, is you can die alone. Um, And so (laughs) their their whole point of that book is how to look at different markets and take different approaches for each. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: when we see content, content marketing, what we see most businesses doing for content marketing is this short-term, hyper-focused feeding of red audiences, right? We're trying for popularity. We're looking for SEO to get the most popular content to fight for that Google first page for the most yeah. traffic first page we're trying desperately to feed the content most popular and then we start thinking well let's do something different let's actually go into a new audience with a new topic that is completely differential in, in, in from what the popularity is talking about and that doesn't work either so it's like yeah. well, what do you do right and one of the yeah. things that we've seen really work that I think is really interesting is sort of moving one from the other or moving one to the other, I should say. In other words, yeah. trying to get a blue niche and a re and a red world. And mm-hmm. it's this idea of getting a purple audience. And yeah. what it is, is this sort of looking at your red ocean of all of the popular content that's out there and what's feeding that frenzy and then finding a niche audience within there and trying to pull that audience out of it. Um, and, and really feeding in a differentiated message within that. And that's what you can kind of see with what's going on now with, uh, you know, the way that media companies tell different narratives to a popular, it's what really good media companies do, right? They find their own narrative within the most popular topics. And that's something that we marketers can really learn from is finding the niche differentiated areas and audiences within that red audience and pull them in and start to make them our own based on a differentiated narrative within that popular topic making them purple as it were and that's a great hedge On your current efforts, right? So having some level of investment on doing that is a good thing because it sets you up for if it actually turns out to be true, you can pull that audience. Well, now you've been doing it for two years or three years or Mm -hmm. one year, and you've got Mm -hmm. a great foundation for it when you actually when people go, Oh, theirs is the right answer. Or two, if you actually do believe the whole consensus and popularity is wrong. In other words, really going out with a counter message to say, you know, this what everybody's talking about is wrong and we believe this. Or three, when you see that opportunity to steal some audience from someone that's actually gone viral or gone in some ways, you know, created this popular topic, you can actually go, ah, we can steal them by just focusing on this one little piece of that and and really pulling them out. So those three areas I think are great, interesting areas to think of as we're starting to look at what might be an economic Mm -hmm. downturn or what might be an opportunity in the new year for us to do something really different uh, with our content
1: yeah no i really like that and i think um when I, i i'm actually i don't think i've read that book but i'm familiar with that concept that blue ocean red ocean thing i think that's been talked about quite a bit unless i have read that book and i don't remember um but that that purple audience is great and uh, this you can apply this also i think particularly in the world you know i live in the b2b tech world where we're always trying to de- redefine categories and find that blue ocean and like you say you die alone because nobody's nobody's looking for right. you yeah. <laughs> right and uh, but at least you're different right but and so you, and and so i think that's really interesting is that purpleness is how you can flirt with the popularity thing whilst being different enough right that people see you different in that big red sea i think that's really interesting
2: yeah it's a fascinating thing i mean there's a great example of it um you know and and we've been leaning on it as a as a wonderful case study it's one of my favorite case studies of the last 12 months i guess yeah Um, maybe more 18 months now i mean since since covid ended Mm -hmm. was sap and you know sap not generally known for their innovative content (laughs) programs but um this one truly is it's there you know so they have their whole what they call their their future of customer engagement blog right i mean it's mm-hmm. it's it's a very unwieldy title for a very good uh, <laughs> publication what they yeah. did during the pandemic was every of course everybody was you know not necessarily b2b software companies but everybody was mm-hmm. talking about covid right you know covid this covid yeah. that how you're yeah. going to get out of this and where you should wear masks and you know blah 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 yeah. blah 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 And that popularity, of course, you could try and feed into, but it would be really difficult. But you could also take the opposite effect, which is sort of sticking to your guns and only talking about thought leadership and customer experience and talking about, you know, what you need to do for CRM and email marketing and all that. But nobody Mm -hmm. wants to talk about that right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But you could, there's probably a niche audience somewhere that doesn't want to even think about COVID. And what they did, what SAP did was something really interesting. They sort of, stole a segment of the audience really looking for COVID-19 coverage. They switched their editorial completely and said, here's what COVID-19 means to the future of customer experience. Yeah, and yeah. so they partnered up with Johns Hopkins University uh, and Hospital to get the right medical information and data and then yeah. mixed it with this sort of, I thought, leadership around uh, yeah. you know, customer experience and created a new purple audience by focusing in on that. Then, when they swung that over, they basically took all those new people that they were getting in traffic-wise and converted them into subscribers. Who then, right. when they pivoted back into the regular scheduled programming after COVID was over, mm-hmm. they kept that mm-hmm. audience right. So they successfully turned a purple audience into a blue audience, and I thought yeah. that was just a really yeah. fascinating idea.
1: Well, the other thing that's core to that, I think, as well, is is that you would or you would already need to know what your own voice and narrative and what your core pillars are from your content strategy wouldn't you to then overlay them onto a popular topic
2: you or you, i don't yeah think you could well it's be not totally only that but it's it's, right it's being able to move right yeah yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah the challenge with most blogs or content platforms for most brands is that it gets so wrapped around the axle of quote-unquote mm. brand messaging that they don't have the ability mm. to pivot their editorial strategy to something different yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's like, well, we have to talk about customer experience and software and mm. email marketing because that's what our blog is about. That's, you know, we are yeah. locked into that. It's like, no, you can, it's not chasing your audience per se, but it's actually pivoting to what the audience is, because you know, audiences change, right? Their tastes yeah. change, their preferences yeah. change. And so it's looking at your core audiences and understanding their needs and pivoting yeah. your editorial to their needs instead of your needs
1: yeah yeah and gaining that relevance I mean like the it, it, you know the, the SAP example that you use they went deeper than the generic oh we're there for you we understand these are unprecedented right. times right. right they actually leaned into it and did something wrong oh that's excellent well um, uh, we've, we've, we've coming up to time what um, uh, where might people find thoughts of a similar nature where you found your purple sea Robert
2: uh, well you know I have really (laughs) been trying to get our own little domicile on the web updated (laughs) and have been woefully unsuccessful at that. Uh We do have some updates coming. um, But generally speaking, uh, you'll find Uh all this wonderful stuff at uh, at our website at contentadvisory.net splendid
1: and when people spin the dial on the interwebs where are they going to find you
2: uh well they're not going to find me on twitter um i've actually <laughs> i taken, know that <laughs> i have taken my pause uh and gone yes. fishing on twitter um uh-huh. and uh although I, my account is still active and i'm still monitoring yeah. for my mentions and those sorts of things and using it as yeah. a bit of a content research platform but not talking these days. But LinkedIn. Yeah. I am doubling down on LinkedIn and I'm really yeah. enjoying my experience on LinkedIn there. And you know, I'm experimenting a little on Mastodon. So come on over uh yeah. at to uh to our little Mastodon server. We're having we're having fun over there testing that out.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's that no, it's really interesting this Mastodon thing. And also I noticed that everybody's going onto LinkedIn and LinkedIn has to create lists. The stream is getting unbearable because everybody is now on LinkedIn. And
2: yeah, I, there's a lot. I need
1: some way of curating that experience. And I want lists. I want lists.
2: <laughs> yeah. There's a lot going on there for sure, yeah. Uh,
1: all right then, mate. Well, um, and more importantly for me, and uh, I can curate this really easily, are you going to be in the bar next week? i
2: oh, will be. I look forward to seeing you.
1: Thank you, Robert. Love that Purple Ocean idea for differentiating our content. So, that's a wrap on episode 143 of the Rockstar CMO, effing marketing podcast. Thanks to Jeff, Richard, and Robert for sharing their insight. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track, and jiving along with us. So, what do you think? Does the world need another effing marketing podcast? How about letting us know with a rating or review in your favourite podcast app? Or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff will be back in the studio. I chat with my old boss, CMO at Embers, Grant Johnson. And Robert will be back in our virtual bar. Until then, have a great week. And hope you again join us here again next week on Rockstar CMO FM.